0: At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. So today we're going to look at um, the, I almost said it, I always say every time I get up I say this is my favorite it, 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 it's like every chapter every verse is my favorite but we'll be looking uh in in the book of second Corinthians at the third chapter and we'll find that there are some very familiar words there in the third chapter and we'll see the lord grants us grace to be able to get through uh get through the whole the whole chapter second what did i say did i say thessalonians no thessalonians you'll see why i said that I i had corinth on my mind in a few minutes but it's actually sorry second thessalonians and i'm even looking at it right here second thessalonians the third chapter Says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. That we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. I could almost stop right there. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we, command, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Lord have mercy. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. For if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. You do not count him as an enemy, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you the peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So Paul writes this second letter or epistle to the church at Thessalonica after he had received the Macedonian call. If we go back into Acts chapter 16. That's where he tried to get into all of these different provinces or villages in asia minor but the word says the holy spirit wouldn't allow them to enter and then late one night he has a vision of a man over in macedonia who's like hey dog we need you over here and so immediately they decide that that's where they need to go they need to go to macedonia and as they left from troas they go over into macedonia paul spends about three weeks in the city of Thessalonica, helping to build the church. He's there for about three weeks, then he leaves Thessalonica and goes to Berea. And then from Berea he goes into he goes to Corinth. Somewhere between Berea and Corinth, he sends Timothy back to the Thessalonians because he wants to know how things are going. He didn't have time to go himself, so he sends Timothy. While he's, while Paul is in Corinth, Timothy catches up with him and brings him word that all is well in Thessalonica. And so Paul is, he's pleased to hear this good report. And so that's what prompted him to write the first letter to the church in uh Thessalonica but then the people get the letter and all these questions pop up and somehow the questions get back to Paul and there's not a whole lot of time in between when he wrote the first letter that he gets wind that somehow things have gone awry in the city and so he sits down and he writes this Second letter. Now, there are some scholars who question whether or not the First Thessalonians was written before a Second Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians was written. Doesn't matter. We have the Word of God the way that it is, Amen. and and then, let me expound on that a, a, a little bit. One of the reasons that some scholars believe that the second letter may have come first. It's because the first letter gives a much deeper explanation of Christology and, and the end times. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it came afterwards as an explanation to provide deeper explanation. I think Paul just, look, I was there with you for three weeks. I already sent you one letter. Some of this stuff I shouldn't have to go over again. But yet, we know, even going back and looking at Jesus and how he had to deal with the disciples, how many times did we read in Scripture that he asked, how long I got to be with y'all before you get this? And sometimes I wonder if, if God still looks at us and says, maybe he doesn't look at you this way. I maybe mean, he probably just looks at me and says, Charles, how long do I have to be with you before you get this? How long at some point I ought to become mature enough that some of the basics I shouldn't have to be reminded of. But yet, and that's why we come to Bible study, right? That's why we come to Connection Group on Sundays, right? That's a plug. It's because we all need to be reminded. Show, show me a, anybody who was on a job that doesn't have to go through some sort of retraining, retooling from time to time. Because practices, processes, things change. And so you can't always, what may have worked, shoot, sometimes what worked last week won't work this week. And so we all have to be reminded. So Paul takes time to write the second letter to remind him, remind them of things that he already told them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like I said, we all need to be reminded. I was sitting over there and I was kind of rereading some things. And the first verse really popped out at me. Now, I'd read it and prepared, but it was something about where it talks about finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. And it says that he wants the word to run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. So notice how he's already encouraging supporting the Thessalonians by saying, I know that the word of God runs swiftly. It runs uninhibited, unobstructed, freely. You can't run swiftly if you are inhibited. You can't run fast if there's something tying you down, if there's something weighing you down. If you ever watch the NFL combine when they run the 40 yard dash, you don't see them out there running in full uniform because you can't run fast with all that equipment on. And so they're usually like in some shorts, some short shorts, some tight t-shirts, and some tennis shoes so that they can get the best time running uninhibited. And that's what we want the word of God to be in our lives, you know, to, to, to move swiftly within our lives. That's why Paul elsewhere talked about laying aside every weight that so easily besets us. And we've got to be able to strip off. We got to put the distractions aside. We got to, I know it's almost lunchtime, but we got to set aside. What am I going to eat for lunch when I leave here to focus on the word of God, right? We come on Sunday, I know you got the greens and the slow cooker or whatever, the, the ribs on 250 in the oven, but we got to put those things aside. We got to put the, whatever it might be that's holding us or obstructing us from receiving the word of God, we got to set it aside. Paul says, I pray, I want you to pray. that the word of God runs swiftly amongst us that ought to be the congregation's prayer not only for the congregation but for the leaders of the church because I mean we just think about being a pastor and then think about being the pastor of us not you all right and all the you know uh, uh people say you, 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 you people see the glory but they don't know the story and it's easy to see what happens up here on on sunday morning but not really fully understand what it takes to stand before a congregation and rightly dividing the word of truth but then also dealing with at a pastoral level the issues and the challenges that folks have but that can't you know those of us that are teaching or called to preach you can't allow those things to keep us from delivering the word of God and so I would solicit and ask that the congregation continually pray for the church leadership that the word of God runs swiftly and and uninhibited in our lives because we're people too we've got families too and so if if we're praying for one another then i think that helps the the, the flow of the spirit and i ain't just talking about it on sunday morning but just the flow of the spirit throughout the body of christ paul goes on to say that we may be Delivered from unreasonable and wicked people. <laughs> sometimes we can have unreasonable expectations of church leadership. And sometimes, I mean, you know, we won't the pastor to be at 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 everything. If I'm sick and in the hospital, you know, we want the pastor to be there. If someone passes, we want the pastor to do the eulogy. No, I don't want an associate. I don't I don't I mean I like Reverend Dixon, but that's not who I who I want. Sometimes it's feasible, sometimes it's not. And so Paul recognized that there were people that had unreasonable expectations of him. And he's saying, pray that God would deliver us from this so that we can continue to be available for everybody, not just a clique, not just one subset, but for everybody, unreasonable and wicked. So they had to deal with people who not only had unreasonable expectations, but had bad intentions. And we know from all of our other studies of of Paul that there were people who always questioned and challenged his authority. And when somebody's always questioning, why are you doing that? What well, who said you could do that? That weighs on you. It it, it tires you out. When you, when you have to spend more calories, energy on negative stuff than on really doing the work of God. And so Paul is saying. You know, I want to be free to minister, to preach. I need you to pray that God would deliver us from people that have bad intentions and people who don't want to see the church grow and be successful. Now, that's Thessalonica, if we go back into the 17th chapter of Acts. I always thought it was really um, interesting that it points out how the church was growing and how people were con- becoming believers. And back in Acts 17, it specifically says and not a few leading women. In other words, it wasn't just men who were not only you know becoming believers but there were prominent women who were significant leaders within the church and i don't know any church that i've ever been affiliated that there weren't women in key places of leadership helping to advance the kingdom of god and I would even suggest that if it wasn't for, and I think, I think I'm safe in saying this, if it wasn't for some, some strong black women in a lot of our African American churches, a lot of these churches wouldn't exist. Amen. And so I think it's, it's key that the writer pointed out that women were a significant, is this still, is this Women's Month, International Women's Month, or National Women's Month, or whatever, But I think it's key that the Bible points out that women played a significant role in the growth and the development of the church. And it's no different than than Canaan. When I look at pictures and images and hear the stories of the charter members, there were key, significant women that were a part of the development of the church, even today key significant women, part of the growth and development of the church. Does that mean that there's not a place for men? No, it's suggesting, it's telling us that no one group can do it by themselves. It's not just on the men, it's not just on the women, it's on all of us. And I'll take it a step further, it ain't just on the pastor. It's, it's, it's not all on Pastor Malone to grow the church. That's the whole point of talking about making disciples. When Thank you, Holy Spirit. When Jesus gave the great commission to the disciples, he points out, go out, go ye therefore, teaching as I have taught you. And that call is no different than today we're called to go out as our pastor has taught us as we learn as we're being taught our job is then to take what we've been taught and then go out and help make other disciples and I'm gonna come back to that in a minute All right, so he says but in spite of all of this in spite of the opposition, in spite of the fact that there are people who are wicked and have bad intentions and um, uh, unreasonable expectations, says, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you, right? Establish. He, he will, will make you stand, He will help you to be firm in the faith. He will establish you and guard you, right? So he's not just going to put you somewhere and leave you. He'll put you somewhere and protect you, that he will guard you from the evil one. It goes on to say, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do, present tense and will do. Paul saying, you're already doing the right things. And I know that in the future, you're going to continue to do the right things. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. So when we talked about how Paul had spent three weeks in Thessalonica that he leaves and goes to Berea and then Corinth and while he's in Corinth it's when he writes these two letters well as he gets word that something's up one of the things he knew he had to do was encourage the people the he's like I can't keep coming back to y'all So at some point you've got to stand on your own two feet. So how, if I could use my spiritual imagination, Paul's wondering how can I help them to understand that they can stand on their own two feet, even though I'm not there. It's the same issue between Jesus and the disciples. As long as Jesus was around, the disciples, you know, they felt, you know, like, like, you know how it is. If you got a big brother, big sister, you talk a, a whole lot of junk that you wouldn't talk when they're not around. Then when they're not around, you're like, um, I don't know if I can do this. Paul wanted them to understand, look, it, it, it really ain't me. It's God who's going to help you hold on to the faith that we're encouraging you to have. And that's the thing that that we have to understand that, you know, pastor can't, like I said, can't be everywhere, right? I think it was the poet Bobby Womack who said, I can't be in two places at one time. So if the pastor can't be everywhere, or if the church leadership can't be everywhere, then how are we going to hold fast to the faith that we have? Well, God sent his son Jesus, amen, who then tells us as he got ready to leave the disciples, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, I'm going to send another. I was paying attention and said, (laughs) ha ha, I was paying attention in class, right? But I'm going to send another who's just like me. And he wouldn't be with you always. Well, who was that? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so how does the Holy Spirit help me deal with all of this? Paul says it, I believe, in Ephesians 3 and 20, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power at work within you. Well, what's the power at work within you? It's the Spirit of God. So if I am a believer, I have the Spirit of God in me. And... God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so if I have the spirit of God in me, and I understand that, that he hasn't, has he's not leading me from a sense of fear. He's not leading me from a sense of uncertainty. He's helping me to make sound decisions. So if I make bad decisions, guess who didn't help you make that decision? I'm just, I'm talking to myself. Every bad decision that I can point to wasn't nobody's fault but mine. I can't put it on the Holy Spirit. That was, that because he was there and available, I just chose to ignore him. So people, so Paul wanted the people to understand I know I'm not physically there with you, but God's presence is always there. And he will establish you and help you through what you're dealing with. And and the people were dealing with persecution from the Romans. And remember, there's still this thought that at some point in time that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government and relieve the people of this earthly oppression. But we understand that he didn't come to do that. He came to establish God's kingdom on earth so that who would ever believe in him would not perish but might have everlasting or eternal life. And so while the people were dealing with persecution, some of them thought that, well, this must mean that Jesus is about to come back any day if we're going through all of these trials and tribulations and persecution, he must be on his way back. And so some folks kind of fell away from the faith. Call that apostasy where people just, they just stopped believing, they kind of gave up. There were some people, particularly in Thessalonica that stopped working in the church. And I wish I could pause and really really deal with that, but we only got we only got so much time. But I will say that one of the things that we've witnessed through the pandemic is that people people's attitudes and perceptions towards church have changed. I mean, that's just that's just a reality of of the times. And Reverend Buford and I were just talking about how we have to do what we can to understand how to engage, you know, past. Then again, it ain't all on Pastor Malone. Encouraging people to—we know people that used to come that stopped coming to say, "Well, I can, I can watch on, you know, on live stream." And again, I'm not talking about people like. Like there are times I can't come to the 11 o'clock Bible study, so I watch, you know, the live stream, right? Or there are people that that are sick, right? So we're not talking about those folks or people who have to work. We're not talking about that, but there are people that we know that could come, that should come, but choose not to come. And it's going to take more than just a video, and I think we do a marvelous job, marvelous job with with our marketing and and visual aids but it's going to take more than that to connect with people and engage with folks to bring them back into the house because what we don't want is you know the the, the longer time goes right the harder that's just like I've I've, I've been I'm going to tell them myself I last year I, um, I started going back to the gym. And I was doing real good, five days a week, getting up in the morning, started watching what I, what I eat. Well, I always watch what I eat because I watch it, you know. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. I was eating better, but then I got sick. I got COVID and obviously you couldn't go to the gym, right? And it kind of took me a while to get over it. Then once I finally got over it, I was like, man, I don't feel like going back to the gym. And so mentally it was just harder. The longer I stayed away from the gym, the harder it became to get back into the routine. And my concern is the longer people stay away from the church, that the more difficult it's going to become to get them back into the house. And so that's why we have to make that personal connection, be that personal point of contact, and encourage our brothers and sisters to come back into the house. Those who are, those who are able to. Okay, that's I'm get off my soapbox. Um verse 5 now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ so Paul's about to address some stuff right you know it's possible to say the right thing the wrong way it's possible to be right but wrong at the same time so Paul's saying, now, I, 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 I want to direct you deeper, thank you, Holy Spirit, into the love and the heart of God. Because sometimes you can't just, I know you want to be direct. And sometimes you want to just, I just need to tell her what's on my mind and you probably should, but there's a way to go about doing it. And everything that we say and do ought to be blanketed in the love and the patience of God. So even as we go and we reach out to our brothers and sisters and encourage them to come, come back into the house, don't, don't be like, oh, look, Negro, you ain't got nothing better to do. You might have to understand right? so tell me what's going on what's what's keeping you away right because you're not really gonna nobody wants to be shamed into coming back right and that's not cloaked in the love of God shaming folks so that that's that's not gonna that's not gonna work Paul says May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. When Paul was in Thessalonica, and this was kind of his uh, M.O., his approach for ministry and developing churches, he always modeled the Christian behavior. He modeled what he wanted people to know and understand about being in a relationship with God. He didn't just tell people. He demonstrated it one of the ways he demonstrated it with the Thessalonians was he did not take money from them. We know that Paul was uh, used the, 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 I guess, church term. He was bivocational. He was a tent maker. And here in the beginning, when he's there, he's working making his own money and showing the people this is how you need to do this. At that time, now think about it, trying to start the church, trying to grow the church. And he's showing that there's a work ethic that's required in order to make it happen. It doesn't just happen, it's not by osmosis, there's no magic it's rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. But there were some people who initially, while he was there, you know, it was easy to follow him and see what he's doing and model what he's doing, but when he left, people started thinking, well, if Jesus is coming back at any moment, do I really need to do this? Do I really need to work? They didn't understand when Jesus said, no man knows the day, the hour, when the Son of Man will return. And so because nobody really knows, we have to keep working till he comes. I was reminded of, of, I told y'all, sometimes songs are in my head and they're not always gospel songs. So y'all just prayed for me. I was reminded of the Osley brothers. I got work to do. Here's a gospel song. So you think I'm not a total, (laughs) a total heathen. Uh, We're crossing over one by one. Fast approaching, life setting, sun. don't let them catch you with your work undone. We're crossing over one by one. So, we are required, the church, whether we're talking about the local church or the kingdom of God, requires work. I believe it was Jesus that said that the, there's plenty of work, but not enough laborers. And I could get into talking about how, you know, the old 80-20 rule and, and all of that. But the bottom line is, if we want Canaan to be all that we believe God wants her to be, it's going to take all of us. All of us following, the, as, as Bishop Walter Hawkins said, follow me as I follow Christ. So we follow pastor as he follows Christ. And thank God we serve a pastor or we're we're here in a church with a pastor who follows Jesus in the word of God. So then if, if we want the church to grow, we all have to do our part. That doesn't mean we're all called to do the same thing. No, but we're all called to do what? Something. So we have to Figure out, through the help of the Holy Spirit, what is it that we're called to do? How can I serve? How can I help? Maybe you can't be at everything. Nobody's calling you, to asking you to be at at, at everything. But we can all be at something. Um, Verse six, but we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Sometimes when I, I see my son doing something that I know he shouldn't do, I'll ask him, have you ever seen me do that? Have you ever heard me say something like that? And he'll have to you know, acknowledge and admit no. Again, Paul understood, he showed people. It wasn't just in word, it was indeed how people needed to conduct themselves, how the church was going to operate. So if you didn't see me do it, thank you, Holy Spirit. Maybe you shouldn't be doing it. And if you're doing it, you know you didn't get it from me. I don't know if we need to go back to everybody wearing those what would Jesus do bracelets and I don't know that, that half of us really, really, you know, abided by it anyway, right? But, but we ought to pause and sometimes, what would he do in this situation? And if I find that I'm doing something that I know he wouldn't have done, then I shouldn't be doing it. Paul says, there's some folks among you walking disorderly and it puts in my mind, We've seen videos of people who, are, who get pulled over by the police and they are um, going through the breathalyzer, you know, and they're, they're intoxicated, right, and their conduct is disorderly, unruly. There were some unruly people in the church. And Paul says, you ain't get that from me. No, you, you know better than, than that. And so he says, look, y'all, you you, need, and he's talking specifically to the first, to the folks that are around those people. He says, look, don't even associate with them. And he says, don't, don't mistreat them, still be brotherly, still be sisterly, still pray for them, but don't give in to that negativity. Because what happens is when we give in, and we, we all know some folks that have negative opinions about everything. And after a while, it starts eating at you. And if you're not careful, you're gonna start acting and thinking like they do. Because that old saying, misery loves company, yeah. is true. And so all they're trying to do, or what they're, and they may not even realize it, is, is to drag you down and bring you down so that you feel the way that they feel. Paul says, don't even associate with those folks. Cut them off, but not cut them off in the sense of excommunicate, like, like send them, put them out of the church. he are saying don't don't socialize with them. Still pray for them. Pray that God will speak to their hearts, but don't you get sucked into the negativity and the craziness that they're spewing. So then he tells these disorderly folks it's almost like when Jesus told Judas, That which you must do, do it quickly. Paul tells these people that which you must do, do it quietly. Just if if you need to be working, but if you feel like you can't, just go somewhere and sit down. And and, And that really ought to be my attitude. If it gets to the point where I can't subject myself to leadership, maybe I should just close my mouth Go somewhere and sit down and pray. P-R-A-Y. Not because there are folks who will. P-R-E-Y. And again, try to suck other people into that negativity. Maybe I should just go somewhere. Mama used to say, if you ain't got nothing nice to say. Right? And so, sometimes it's, it's, it's very practical in terms of how we ought to conduct ourselves within the church and how we ought to conduct ourselves within the body of Christ. It's not always overly complicated. So if I, if I don't have anything good to say about Christian education, maybe I shouldn't teach. If I can't subject myself to pastoral leadership and i got a problem with everything that the pastor says maybe i should just until the lord and i can get together and we work work some stuff out so paul is and this this understand this this ain't this ain't easy on paul this this is not to have to correct and and admonish and discipline that's that's not not an easy thing. He could have, thank you, just been like, "Hey, y'all just try to try to get along the best you can." But he understood he had a responsibility first and foremost to Jesus Christ. And because of that that responsibility, he knew that he couldn't allow confusion to go on within the church and so as a leader he had a he, he had a responsibility to stand up and say that's not right and that ain't easy it's 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 real easy I mean, I'm just talking about myself it's really easy to be a church leader or a leader in the church and Just say what people want to hear because you want to be popular or because you don't want anyone to be upset with you. And what happens is you're over here trying to please these folks, then you're over here trying to please these folks, and then you realize you ain't pleasing anybody. So we might as well make sure we're pleasing God first and foremost and so if somebody's got a problem with what we're saying you need to take it up with so paul says maybe you all should just go somewhere and 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 be quiet um verse 12 that those who are such we command and exhort through our lord jesus christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you brethren, do not grow weary in doing good, which is a theme throughout several of Paul's letters because it is easy to grow weary when you're doing good because not everybody will be happy with what you do even if you aren't doing it for Christ. Not everybody will be happy. There would be some, if, if, if Canaan grows, and, and I don't know, I'm making this up, right? If Canaan grows and we have 5,000 members and, and the Lord is blessing us to baptize people every Sunday for two years, there would be people that would not be happy with that. Mm-hmm even though that's really what the church is supposed to be doing. There will be people, there will be people who will never be satisfied. And again, since we, we know that, don't worry about pleasing folks. As long as you know you're pleasing God and you know that you are following in the word of God, that's what gave Paul the, the, the spiritual confidence, if you will. It's because he knew, I know I've got opposition. I know that there are people questioning my authority, people questioning my my apostleship, if you will. But he knew that at the end of the day, he was doing what he had been called to do. Because only what you do for Christ will last. And if we all keep that in mind, That's who we serve. That's who we worship. That's who we need to please. It's his church, his kingdom. And if we seek to please him first, he'll take care of everything else. He will fight your battles. He will establish you. He will equip you and he will guard you. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.